0: Um, it is good to be gathered in God's house, good to be singing those familiar songs, good to hear your voices lifted together. This is a good season to be a part of God's family, isn't it, as we ponder the incarnation and all that that means for us, that God in his glory and his goodness veiled himself in human flesh on a rescue mission to seek and to save the lost, and what a joy it is uh, to be his, one of his children during this season. As we've done these last few years, we've, we've made an Advent celebration part of our uh, Christmas season here in church. And so each Sunday morning, throughout the, the uh, December month, and we've, we've kind of paused and we've lit candles and we've focused on the Advent themes. And, and so we are hoping that as we do that, some of us are, this is familiar to you, some of you, it's not, and it's kind of new We're hoping that as we do that, it gives us a little bit of, a, of an anchor. Uh, because this season is crazy. And every year we, we get together, we say, all right, we're not going to let next year get as crazy. It's out of hand. I'm going to way too many Christmas parties. I've got too much stuff going on. We're, next year, next year will be better. And then next year we don't get better. We're, it's like we don't even own a calendar. Like, we, like there are easy ways to fix this and we just forget about it. So we wanted in this setting to give ourselves a little bit of an anchor, to just, just stop, to breathe deep, to exhale to pause and reflect on what it is that we're celebrating this Christmas season. Because it's not just goodwill, and it's not just the spirit of giving. There's more to it than that, right? So we, we, like we said, we've been lighting Advent candles to help us in that celebration and to remember. And the first candle we light, we said, was the, uh, called the prophet's candle. And the reason we called it the prophet's candle, maybe you'll remember, is that we said that the, the plan of redemption was God's plan since before the foundations of the world. There wasn't some crisis meeting of the Trinity after the fall when God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit said, oh no, Adam and Eve messed it up. What are we going to do now? And Jesus says, well, I've got an idea. No, it didn't happen like that. This was the plan from the beginning, that God set this all into motion to redeem mankind. Because he knew us. He understood. This, This was his plan. And the prophets told us about it. Hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus' arrival, he was revealing, God was revealing himself through the law, through the prophets, to make us ready, to make his people ready to receive their king. The second candle we lit, we called the uh, Bethlehem candle. and The reason we called it the Bethlehem candle, maybe you'll remember, is that it highlights the nature of Jesus' coming. And what we mean by that is the King of kings and Lord of lords, this God of glory, who by his word holds all things together, this God made himself known to us and arrived in a very humble and subdued, muted way. He's so not like us. So not like us in our, in our fanfare and in our uh, self-grandeur. If one of us were arriving today on the scene as Jesus, we would make sure that everybody knew about it. We'd be taking selfies with everybody, sharing it on all of our social media feeds. Everyone would know that Jesus had arrived. But when the Christ child was born, it was in a manger, in a stable, essentially, in a tiny backwoods town under the cover of a, a dark night. There is, there is a glory in the humility of Jesus' coming, in that first coming. When he comes again, he's not going to come in the same way. He's going to come in the clouds. Every every eye will see him. He's going to come to make war. He's going to come to establish his kingdom. But in this first coming, there was a simplicity and a stillness to it all. Today, we light our third candle. And we call this candle the shepherd's candle. The reason we call it the shepherd's candle is because it helps us to remember the kind of people to whom Christ revealed himself to whom God revealed the message. Remember that shepherding was not exactly a vocation that the upper echelon of society would pursue. Shepherding was reserved for the lowest, the poorest of the poor. It wasn't a noble and honorable thing. It was a humble position. And as we reflect on the shepherds, we're reminded of the Bible's teaching that God comes to the humble, to the contrite. Not to the proud, not to the stiff-necked. God doesn't extend grace to those who don't think they need it. But he gives grace to the humble. He actually opposes the proud, stiff-arms them and keeps them at bay. Paul reminds us that not many wise and not many noble are called to salvation But in the humility of a low station, the power and the glory of the Messiah was on display. Just remember the words from Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. We've heard this a million times. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Today, we're reminded in our Advent reflections that at just the right time, God revealed himself to us, not because we were powerful and influential, but because in our lowliest state, we recognized our need, our need for forgiveness, our need for peace, our need for friendship with God. And God in his mercy, out of the perfection of his steadfast love, met that need when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Today, in our Advent series, we're going to be focusing our attention on the, th- the theme of joy. We've, we've talked about hope, we've talked about peace, today we turn our attention to the theme of joy. And specifically, as it comes to us in the, in the book of Acts, which is, Acts chapter 3 is where we're going today, and it's not a typical Christmas uh, passage, but I hope you'll give me a little like I was sharing with my sweet friends, this morning. I, I've been here for 14 years. I hope you'll give me a little bit of a pass this morning. and Just, and just go with me on this one, right? Humor me, all right? I, I appreciate it. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 10 is where our passage is today. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and the man, lame from birth, was being carried what had happened to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we have to gather today. We ask for your spirit to empower the the speaking, the preaching, the teaching of your word. We ask God that that same spirit would empower the receiving of your word today, that our hearts would be wide open before you to receive from you the truth that you have for us. Speak to us, God. We, We want to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a few, uh, few observations this morning as this, this story unfolds. It's a story many of us have heard before. If you've been around for any number of, uh, number of years, we went through the book of Acts a couple years back, and so we, we uh, went through this passage um, in, in great detail. But here are some things that we can see from this passage in Acts chapter 3, and I, I hope to show you how it ties into our joy this Advent season. The first is a, is a chance encounter which really isn't much of a chance at all, but a chance encounter. We see at the very beginning here, Peter and John, the disciples of Jesus, are, are entering into the temple at the time of prayer. So they're going up to the temple about, about the ninth hour. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. The, the, it was the hour of prayer. At the, at the time of the evening sacrifice, actually, crowds would begin to gather to watch and observe the ceremony and then to pray. So in fact, during this time, the largest number of people would be attending uh, the service at the temple. Which is precisely why this infirmed man is here at this time. So about the ninth hour, Peter and John go up to the temple. Jesus has already ascended, you'll remember in Acts chapter 1, he ascended into heaven, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he said to the disciples as he went, my spirit will come upon you, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he rose right before them into the heavens, and in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out, signifying this new era, this new age in the church's life. It is on the heels of that that we find ourselves today. And Peter and John, as they're walking into the temple, they they come across a needful man, somebody who the Bible teaches us here is is lame from birth. He was unable to walk. He was lame from birth. We're not sure exactly what his precise illness was, what the infirmity uh, was, but we know that if somebody is dealing with this from birth. And the idea here is that this is not a new malady. This is not some new condition. It's not some illness or virus that he picked up that, is go- that he will one day get better from. Right? He's, it's not a cold. He doesn't have the flu. This guy has been in this condition since he was born. And in that way, he was held captive to this condition. In in some ways, even in bondage to it, as it limited him and it hindered him. And his entire life then, his entire life, his day-to-day schedule, his entire experience has been marked by this, uh, you could say this cross that he's been called to bear. This, This is what God has ordained for his life. This is what God has allowed for him. And in this way, God is revealing himself in many ways. But this condition that he's under has presented serious problems for him throughout his entire life. And this man is being carried. Now don't miss the very obvious in the encounter. There's a reason he's being carried. He's being carried because he can't walk there himself. He's unable. He's dependent upon somebody else to help him get to the temple. He needed in that position to rely on the generosity of, of others. And in this case, the others that he's relying on are the worshipers who are on their way into and out of the temple in order to meet his most basic needs. So every day at the right time, this man had a few friends or family members who would carry him and place him next to one of the gates at the temple so that he could sit along the path and ask alms, ask for, for gifts from the people who were walking in to worship. And he would come at this time, because that's when the greatest number of people would be there. This is a very practical situation. right? The greatest chance he had to meet the greatest number of people so that he would have his needs met most satisfactorily was during this time. Now, the Jewish rabbis taught that there were three pillars for the Jewish faith. The Torah, obedience to the law, worship, the temple, and the showing of kindness or charity. So, this guy, was I mean, he made a good business decision. This is where he needed to be. And likely, his needs were met. Probably not in abundance, probably not to excess, but his needs were met daily as he Uh, Asked alms of the crowds of worshipers. This day was like any other day for him. As people walked by, he'd look up at them and ask them for help. Every one of us, at some point, probably even recently, has walked past somebody in our lives, sitting along the pathway where we were walking, who attempted to make eye contact with us and ask for help. And most of us, in those situations, shy away from making eye contact. We try to look the other way. We often ignore the person. It is an uncomfortable situation for us. We're not sure what to make of their situation. Thankfully, thankfully, the encounter that we're reading today doesn't look like our encounters. Maybe there's a lesson there for us. There's a lesson about the dignity of the image of God in the souls of men and women, regardless of their physical state. There's a message about the value. There's a message about the humanity and the sanctity of, of human life that looking somebody in the eye and speaking to them directly um, might go a long way to uh, lift somebody's spirits, right? There, there is a lesson here for us. Each day, this man asks for alms over and over again like a broken record. And on this particular day, his eyes met Peter and John as they were about to enter into the temple. And as he has done hundreds, thousands of times, he did the same thing. Could you help me, sir? Ask them to care for him, just a little. Every little bit helps. Little did he know that today, he would come face to face With the power of Jesus. What he thought he was receiving was a coin or two. What he was receiving this day was so much more. The power of Jesus moves through these people. See, The the normal response of those worshippers was probably something similar to ours. They, they probably didn't sit down with the man and talk to him. They probably didn't find out his name. They probably didn't sit and, and, and ask about his, his life and what it was like. No, they, they probably just tossed a few coins in on their way through, continuing in their conversations. I know I've done that more than I care to admit. Toss money in someone's direction without granting them the dignity of eye contact in a conversation. Without the dignity of a handshake and... A couple minutes of a, con- of a story shared. I know I've done that. Sometimes not even pausing my conversation. But today was something different. Peter directs his gaze at him. And if you remember when we went through Acts a couple years ago, when you're reading through Acts and you see that word, directs his gaze, or some translations, fixed his eyes, you need to perk up and pay attention because that means something crazy powerful is about to happen. That was Luke's way of signifying to us, you need to dial in right here. Something big is going on. Peter directs his gaze or fixes his eyes on this man. And he says, look at me. Look at me. And the man looks at him expecting to receive something. But what he expects was money. And what he got was so much more. Peter says, look, I don't have any money to give to you. I don't have silver or gold, but I do have something for you. And what I do have, I'll give to you freely. And then he says this, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What? He says, look, I don't... Man, can you imagine? Can you imagine that kind of power? Can you imagine that kind of ministry in someone's life? Can you imagine if you saw that? Look, I don't don't have any money. My money's all gone, but I can fix your condition. Get up and walk, you're healed. He He says, I don't have silver or gold, and honestly, that won't actually fix the problem anyway. But what I do have, I give to you. And the name he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In the biblical sense, a name is more than a label. A name represents a person and all, that, all the, uh, the extension of that person's um, personality, identity, and authority. To invoke the name of Jesus is to call upon his power. And in that sense, Jesus is working through Peter to continue his ministry. Here we have Peter channeling the power and the authority of Christ himself as he reaches out and touches this man, extends to him the right hand, and pulls him up. Now, no, no, no. There's something about this encounter that causes me just to stop for a second. Because not only does Peter stare this man down, engage him, look him in the eye, But he reaches out and touches him. And far too often, we refuse to grant the dignity to people of a human touch. A handshake, a warm hug, an embrace. He reaches out and touches him. Now, it's true, a lot of people have been healed in the Bible without anyone ever touching them. He didn't have to touch him, but he did he reached out and grabbed the man and pulled him up on his feet and commanded him to walk. And the man stood up. He stood up. And the Bible says, immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. Strong enough to stand and to walk. This is the first time in his life he's been able to do this. I'm going to date myself. How many of you have ever seen that old movie, Bambi? Right? You know when Bambi finally, finally tries to stand up and walk and he's stumbling and falling all over the place? Right, None of that. The man stands up and instantly his feet are strong enough to support him. The Bible says he leaps up. He jumps up because he can't contain his excitement. Have you ever been that excited about anything? Where you're jumping up and down because you can't contain it? I, I have an example. A couple years ago early February 2018, right? Some of you have asked me, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, was I so excited that I jumped up and down at the end of the game? And I say, no, 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 no. But you know when I jumped up and down? I knew it was over when Brady fumbled the ball and we recovered and I just let loose. Like, I, I was like a child, right? My children were frightened. I I jumped and screamed and hollered, and and some of you did the same thing. And I thank you for that. Stand with me in solidarity against the evil empire. I I appreciate that. This man finally has his, his life back, and he leaps with joy. He jumps up in the air for the first time in his entire life. What a display of power! What a gift of grace! What a miraculous thing. And the next thing we're going to look at is a little bit of shock and awe and a little bit of joy here too sprinkled in. Because at this point, the man leaps and enters the temple with them. He goes in to worship with them. He doesn't leave. He doesn't run home. He reminds me of that one leper that Jesus healed, that when the others went and turned and ran, he came back and fell down to worship Jesus. This guy doesn't leave them and run and find his family. No, he stays with his new friends who just healed him, and he enters to worship. And in the temple, he's leaping and praising God and walking and jumping with them. He's so overcome with joy. Because something amazing had happened. This man had been physically renewed transformed and changed his life in that moment had been undeniably altered radically shifted but more than that he receives a spiritual blessing as well because up to this point he was forced to sit at the outside of the temple unable by law to enter into the inner courts he was in the habit of daily receiving from those who had the privilege to enter and worship, and yet he was unable to move past the threshold into the presence of God. But now, now he has found spiritual acceptance as well. Now he's been made worthy to worship God. As one commentator said, Here we have someone who's been rejected and deemed unworthy in the old religion of Israel, but who in Jesus had been made new and given full acceptance. Reminds us this morning, doesn't it, of Mary Magdalene, of blind Bartimaeus, of the Ethiopian eunuch, the little slave girl in Philippi, and you and me, who in the old way, under the law, were condemned and guilty and unrighteous, but in the new way of Jesus have been freed and forgiven and accepted. And in one moment, the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ sweeps in and takes the broken and the hurting, the sick, the otherwise unworthy, and declares them restored, cleansed, healed, comforted, and accepted, received. And the result is predictable. He jumps and leaps for joy because that's what you do when that happens. That's what we do when something that amazing happens. He has a hard time containing his joy. And it's causing quite a scene. Not just because he's animated and full of joy. It causes quite a scene because he's been a fixture at the side of the road. Every time people walked in the beautiful gate, there he was. The stir is caused not because he's making a ruckus, but because of who he is. And they recognize him. Or at least they recognize the former version of him. And they're wondering what just happened. Because many of the people worshiping in the temple had thrown money his way through the years. Some might have even seen him that morning or that evening. And now here he is among them, leaping and overcome with joy. Quite a scene. The Bible says they're filled with awe, with, with wonder and amazement when they saw what had happened to him. Because when the power of God descends on somebody's life and their lives are made new, when, when our lives are radically transformed by the grace of Jesus, when our lives are so turned upside down That our old way of life isn't even recognizable in our new way of life. The people around us are left scratching their heads. Like, what just happened to you? Some of us grew up in the church and we came to faith at an early age. And so for us, the story looks a little different. Because as a child, I I wasn't a drunken mess I hadn't killed anybody. I, I, I wasn't a brawler. I was a little guy. I was kind of afraid. I'm still afraid to tangle with Ken. True story. I wasn't a brawler. I, wasn't, I, I, I didn't have that. My story is a little different. God set me on a course and protected me through the years. But some of you, some of you came to Christ later in life. Some of you walked out of some deep darkness and and it left it left scars around you. And when you came to faith, your friends and your family scratched their head and went, What just happened to you? What, What is going on? And they're they're overwhelmed. Like they don't know what to make of you. Because you're not the same person anymore. And it makes them uncomfortable. But they can't help but notice the change that has taken place in your life. These people are watching the effects of the gospel in somebody's life, and they're in awe, wonder, and amazement. All right, so what? What does that mean for us? What does it mean for you and me today? It means a number of things, not the least of which is that I'm on time today. That's a good thing it means right there. So praise the Lord for that. All right, it means this. One, the work of Jesus continues to move through his people by his spirit. And here's what I mean by that. We should not look at what's happening in Acts with Peter and John and just think, wow, it must be nice to have been able to see God move in, in wonder and power in that season." and just settle in for a mediocre life. We should look with expectancy, with a sense of anticipation, that the same spirit that empowered Peter and John to do ministry is the same spirit that empowers you and I to do ministry. And maybe God doesn't choose to physically heal people through us, or maybe he does. That's between, him, that's between you and him. But the truth is, You and I have been called into this fellowship of God's family, have been, if we've trusted him through faith, have been empowered with the Holy Spirit, have been given gifts, and then have been sent out. And do you know why we've been sent out? To do this kind of ministry. To greet the hurting, the poor, the broken, the powerless. To leverage the grace that we found to lift the burdens of those in need. To proclaim along with Christ, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The church, the church of Jesus, is empowered by the same Holy Spirit today. You know, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Greater things than these you'll do. What does that mean? I think that means that God's not finished. And some of us need to repent that we look at this book like nothing more than history. And it's not just history. It's the foundation of our faith, for sure. It is historical, yes. And in some senses, it's prescriptive. It's showing us what happens when God empowers his church. You know what the Bible says about these men who follow Jesus? That they turn the world upside down. Why would God stop? The Spirit's the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The needs of people are still the same. They're broken and separated from a holy God because of sin. They are hopeless and without God in this world. The needs are still the same. The message is still the same. The Spirit is still the same. Guess what? The fruit is going to be the same. We should expect that God would send us. And that doesn't mean that he's going to send you to Ghana. That means he's going to send you to Waterford and Mechanicville and Clifton Park to your family Christmas dinner. Gosh, you're going to sit down with your friends and family and have a beautiful opportunity to give glory to God for the things he's doing in your life, to so point people to Jesus, to engage them with love and compassion and empathy, to look past, look past the, the previous arguments you've had, hurt feelings and see them with fresh eyes see them with the eyes of christ see them in need and under god's direction through the empowerment of his spirit you'll be able to minister to them god's still working through us by the same spirit empowering the same message to reach the same kind of people people who are separated from him because of sin and need to hear about christ what a gift and a privilege of ours to be alive in this generation. Secondly, we can't help but see this and get caught up in this guy's excitement, right? Like you, you can't help but read and, and feel a little bit of this. Leaping and praising God as he recognizes the wonder of healing, the excitement of hope and all that has been given to him. Like We, we see that and, we, and we're moved by that. That's a feel-good story. That causes our our hearts to beat a little quicker. That that gives us a little bit of hope. But why this story? In, in, In our Advent celebration, focusing on joy, why this story? Why this passage? Why did I go there today? As we're thinking about this man, unable to walk from birth, unable to earn a substantial income, unable to enter for worship, we see him largely alone and we can and we can almost sense the hope dimming in his eyes we see him in many ways trapped in his situation held in bondage to this condition and over this story i hear the phrase of the song we just sang long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared And the soul felt its worth. The angels announced to the shepherds that this is good news of great joy. After 400 years of silence, 400, the people of God have been used to God speaking to them through prophets. And for four centuries, there wasn't a prophetic voice which meant nobody that even remembered somebody who remembered the prophetic voice was even alive anymore. You ever think about that? You know what was happening in America 400 years ago in 1619? You know how different life looked back then? Think about all that's occurred between then and now. That's the the span that we're looking at if progress were stalled at 1619 in some way and we didn't notice any discernible incremental growth, we would be like these people, hopeless. We would begin to think that there was not coming a time when God would speak again. Because nobody remembers anybody who even remembered what it was like when God was still speaking. 400 years of silence. Centuries of oppression and conflict in the midst of Roman occupation after what felt like forever. What point am I trying to make? Well, I'm trying. I'm not sure how successful I'm at it. But I'm trying to point out and draw our attention that the fact that much like this man at the beautiful gate, we, all humanity, were in many ways without hope. And over this story, in addition to that line of that song, I also hear Paul's words in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so they might receive adoption as sons. And I hear Jesus' words at the beginning of Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. It is near. It is close. Repent and believe the gospel. The point I'm trying to draw out today is that you and I and all humanity, we are this lame man at the beautiful gate. We are not just observers in the story. If we had to find ourselves in this place, we aren't Peter and John and we aren't the able-bodied worshipers. We are the lame man from birth, sitting at the side of the road, begging for mercy from people who walk by, trapped for our entire lives, held hostage in bondage to our condition, a condition that we could not affect in any way. Stuck, stuck and waiting. We have exhausted all of our resources. We are, in that way, slaves to our condition, and we were held captive under an oppressive ruler. And in our case, that oppressive ruler was the law of God itself. We were held in a state of unrighteousness, storing up wrath for ourselves, unable to fulfill the law and its demands on us as God had commanded us. We were like this man, desperate and in need, utterly dependent. And then Jesus arrives. Because the time had been fulfilled. God had seen our suffering, our hopeless condition, our time of bondage. And just like Moses of old, who he sent to deliver his people because the cries of Israel had reached his ears, God sent Jesus, his only son, condescended. He he came and dwelt among us, perfection and holiness, veiled in humanity and frailty, born of woman a human mother born under the law perfectly fulfilled every command so that his brothers and sisters, those of us who also were born under the law can be liberated and set free from the law's demands and where does all that go today? that leads us to joy right? it should it should it leads us to joy because like this man at the gate, we had one of those power encounters with Jesus Christ. You know what's so fun about those encounters? They all happen in different ways. and They all come because each person's story is unique. But they all center on this moment of faith in Christ and receiving his gift of grace. But we're all at different places of understanding along the way. And many of us turned to Christ long before we fully realized what all was happening. We knew we were lost. We knew we were hopeless. We knew that God had sent Jesus to save us and we knew he made this offer to us. So we took it. And then we learned later all that it meant. Guys, we have been raised with Christ. We, like this beautiful man at the beautiful gate, he reached down and touched us, picked us up, set our feet on the solid rock of Jesus and our feet and ankles now made strong are able to dance and leap and jump in an instant our old was made new and our broken was was restored our sick was healed and much like this man we go on our way hopefully we're still on our way singing and praising and leaping and rejoicing Hopefully we've not lost sight of what he's done for us. Hopefully even though we've been walking with him for many years, some of us many decades, hopefully we've not we've not lost the wonder and the glory that at one point I was hopeless and lost and helpless and Jesus lifted me and rescued me and saved me. This is the joy of Advent. That Christ has come, that he's overthrown the enemy, that in his ministry he set the captives free that the lame now leap, that the blind can see and the dead live. And more precisely, for us today, the joy of Advent is that we were the blind, the sick, the lame, and the dead. And today, that is no longer the banner over us. The name over us today is restored, reconciled, healed, delivered, redeemed, and received, adopted, into the family of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result in our lives ought to be somewhat similar to this man at the beautiful gate. A sense of joy. A sense of excitement. A sense of, a sense of gratitude. And, and a sense of faith. For unto us was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you for the message of Christmas. Thank you for the joy we have in Jesus. Thank you, God, that in our low estate, in our sickness, in our brokenness, in our sin, in our fear, in our addiction, God, when we were unable to clean ourselves, when we were unable to make ourselves acceptable to you, you loved us anyway. You reached down and touched us. You pulled us up. You set our feet on the solid rock of Christ. Lord, thank you for the mercy you've given, for the new life you've given. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we have allowed our joy to diminish. Lord, this Christmas season we ask that you would stoke the fires again, that you'd breathe on us once again that the fire of our joy would burn bright this season, that we would remember with clarity how deep the darkness was and how glorious the gospel is. Lord, I pray that you would empower our church by that same Holy Spirit to do the works you've called us to do, that we would be your ambassadors and messengers, that we would follow your commands, that we'd go into all the world and make disciples. That we would partner with you, Lord, and and proclaim the arrival of your kingdom, the arrival of the Messiah. God, I pray that we'd see the fruit that we desire, that our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and our family members would come to know you as Savior and would be mobilized to go out and proclaim your gospel. Lord, as we continue to sing this morning, we pray that we do so with a joyful heart. That we were lost and were now found. We were blind, but now we can see. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.